Father God, uh, powerful, amazing, you reveal yourself in ways that boggle our minds. We get to hear a story about that today. We get to hear about this moment where you have boggled the minds of men. And you have intruded upon the world in a unique and spectacular way to remind us of something spectacular. Anoint this man. May his words be your words. And just like he says every time he stands up here, if there's something that he has planned to say that you don't want, strike it from his lips. And if there's something you want him to say that he hasn't thought of, make it burn in his heart that he cannot but speak your word. Holy Spirit, be his voice. For your glory, Heavenly Father, and the glory of the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks, man. Morning. Um, what I've recognized in the last three services is that I just need to tell you to hang on. Because I'm not, I, I never preach fast, speak faster than I can think, but um, I get excited today. I, I can't slow it down. I might lose my voice by the end of it. I might look like a Southern Baptist preacher with my hanky out and patting my forehead. So I'm just letting you know, hang on. Get your, get your brain out of second gear, shift it into third, accelerate, because uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. At the end, you'll know why, but it's just very excited about this. And the other thing I want you to know is um, it, there's someone here today who I haven't seen in, well, I've seen once in the last 30 years, someone that I went to college with and his wife. And uh, if I had gone to college with me, I would never show up to where I'm preaching. Okay? I just wouldn't. No way. Uh, so I'm a little, uh, but also kind of cool to see what God can do in one life as he can do in yours as well. So uh, Doug's already prayed. Let's get going. We're in Matthew chapter 17. This is a very familiar passage to many of you. The transfiguration, you kind of know what happens. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, and I'm not coming down on, on what, we, what we teach children. Back in the day, there were felt boards and little, it's awesome. It's awesome. But I want you to understand that God has something for you when you're young. He has something additional for you. You build on it when you're a teen, when you're in your 20s, when you're in your 30s, when you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, on. I've, I've studied this passage I don't know how many times. I've never preached it. Um, but I, I just time and time and time again, I'm amazed at what God continues to reveal. There's some wonderful, amazing, powerful things in this passage. There's just the fact that Moses and Elijah show up at this particular point in time when Jesus is being transfigured blows me away and all the things that that means, but there's more to it. So the title of this message is Hope. Um, I got it last week when or we had already named it, but I was hearing Pastor Andrew preach in the Mosaic service. And he used the word hope, which you should, you know, when you're preaching about Jesus. Uh, but I did what people aren't supposed to do. I started thinking about what I'm going to say next week instead of listening to anything more that Andrew was saying. And, and I had this weird thought. And it's, I just want to tell you, it's okay to, to dream and to wonder. Um, and it's even okay to, have a, to be a heretic as long as you don't have the same heresy two days in a row. Okay, I had, that, I had a professor that said, ask the questions. He goes, it's okay to be a heretic, just, you just can't be the same heretic two days in a row. So ask the questions, and here's the question that came to me last week. I wonder if Moses and Elijah, um, if when they showed up on the mountain with Jesus, if it was one of those, wait, how did I get, what, huh? Because there's these two theories of what happens, and I'm telling you this for a reason, I'll tie it into the end. But there's two theories that even Christians have on what happens when you die. 
Dr. James Dobson, the focus on the family guy, when he had a cardiac uh, surgery when he was in the prime of his ministry and his son, who had been a little wayward, uh, hadn't been living, you wouldn't say that you would be proud of his Christian faith at that time. And so Dr. James Dobson is laying on his hospital bed and his son's by his side and he grabs his son's hand and he says, if I die, when I wake up on the other side, be there. So James Dobson, I'm not criticizing him at all. There's these two theories in the Christian church on what happens when we die. Uh, but, but he had this idea that when we, when we fall asleep, we have no conscious thought until the day that, gra- that, that, that not walking dead kind of graves, but bones and skeletons take on flesh. Those dry bones take on flesh and sinew and, and they come back from the dead. The gra- and, and people ascend into heaven as Jesus with the trumpets going and Jesus is in the sky. He's going from being the lamb of God to the lion of Judah. That, that, that return, that second coming. Some people think that when you die, you have nothing until that day. Okay, if that's true, I don't believe it is. I'll tell you why today. But if that's true, that means Moses, when he died on Mount Pisgah, not the one at Holland State Park, (laughs) the real one, when he died, and there is some theory about they can't find his grave, and some some in the rabbinic tradition thought that maybe he never died, like Elijah just was transferred up to heaven. But if Moses, if he took his last breath on Mount Pisgah, 2,000 years, or well, four or 500 years prior to this, and the next breath is, what, what, what am I, and, and, and Jesus is there with his, with his face shining like the sun, his, his, his clothes is white, as white as the light. I mean, what am I, how, what, how, who, yeah. it just makes me wonder if it was one of those like, what just happened to me? I don't think so, but it's worth asking the question. And I'll tell you in a moment why I don't think so. There's a little background on this. What's just taken place, we, we heard last week that they were in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus, Matthew is very intentional about this in his gospel. Um, Jesus has been in, in, in Capernaum, in Galilee, in that Jewish area. Now, he's gone across the, to the Decapolis and to the Gerasenes, to, the, to the, the place where the demons live. He's been over on the other side of the lake. But for the most part, his ministry is to the people of Israel, the Jewish people. That's what it's been up until they head off to, towards Caesarea Philippi. And it's, it's, it's Jesus' way and Matthew's way of, of saying, yes, it's first to the Jews. And then that Syrophoenician woman who gets deliverance for her daughter. And Jesus says, I've never seen faith like you have in all of Israel. So Matthew, in this timeline, I'm not saying the timeline is not accurate. I'm just, Matthew's very intentional. Jesus is showing them that the kingdom of heaven isn't just for the Jews. It's for all the world. He's starting to expand that. And so they've been in Caesarea Philippi and they heard about the gates of hell can't withstand and they've they've seen these different miracles and then Jesus has a teaching moment and he's starting to tell his disciples that I'm gonna die. And Peter, just before this passage, Peter goes, that'll never happen. In fact, it tells, it tells us that Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him. Now, I don't know. I, that'd be like you when you're 16, taking your mom aside and rebuking her. Actually, it's bigger than that, but it'd be like telling your dad, no, your grandpa, okay. Pulling your pastor aside when you're 16 and rebuking him. And rebuking isn't a word that, that's tender. It's, it's getting in his face saying, that'll never happen to you. And Jesus goes, if, you're going to have to pick up your cross every day and follow me. That's what's just happened. So these disciples that have this idea that, that the cross is a scandal, 
Romans crucify terrorists that they called insurrectionists, murderers. If you're not a Jewish citizen or a Roman citizen and you do something violent, they will, they will beat you, they will bloody you, they will hang you on a cross, and you will stay there for up to three days while you suffocate. And Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to have to take up your cross. So he's changing their worldview, changing what their idea of the Messiah is. And then it says six days later, he takes three of them up to the side of a mountain. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, John, the brother of James, or John, brother, John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. I just think that Matthew is hilarious. Don't you, you've watched movies. Don't you think there should be some background music just... Just something growing up, even the jaws, da, 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 just something. But he, he, he doesn't, I mean, my wife gets startled every time. You can watch, I don't care if it's Castle, and, and, they, and they have that little background music. You know something's coming, and when they jump out of nowhere, she jumps anyway. I mean, the music tells you, but, but here we are in this passage, and, and it says they went up to a mountain, and there Jesus was transformed, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now Peter, he's Peter, ready, fire, then aim. That's Peter. Peter's the spokesperson. He's the one that asks first. He, he's the one that got out of the boat before he realized he's going to have to walk on water. That's just Peter. So Peter is being shown again that, that he's going to be the spokesperson. He's the one that Jesus said last week that, you're, that who, who do you say that I am? You're the son of God, the Messiah, the anointed one. And Jesus says, that has not been revealed to you by God but, or by man, but by God. What you, I will, Peter, I'm, Simon, I'm going to rename you Petra, the rock. On, on, on you, I will build my church. What you loose on heaven, in heaven or loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I give to you the keys to the kingdom. That's Peter. And so Peter right here, he's, he's confused. He's there. He goes up. They're going to pray. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is as bright as the sun and as white as the light. And then Elijah, Moses and Elijah show up. And he's like, I, okay, um, thanks. I get to be here. I got to build something. And this is God-given. This happens. Think of Joshua in Joshua 24 after the Israelites had, had, had wandered in the desert for 40 years. And they show up and they're disappointed because the, the Jordan River is at flood stage. And they're just about there. You know, they don't know that they're going to take down the walls of Jericho. They don't know all those other things, but they know we're almost there. And now we've got to wait six months for the flood to go down so that we can walk across. And God tells Joshua, tell the priest to walk in with the ark. And it dried up. They walked across and he told, he told them to take one stone for every tribe of Israel and to stack it up, stand them up. So that when your children and grandchildren ask, what are these stones for? You tell them. You tell them what God did. It's normal. It's natural. It's, it's, it's time and time again, they put up a memorial. But Peter's missing it. Jesus, it's good that I'm here. Thanks. I get to be. But should I? A tent, stacks of stones, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He's missing it. He's missing it. And the Greek is ambiguous here. It could be that Peter is, is saying, um, Jesus, is it, is it okay? Am I supposed to be? I thought we were going to pray. Is it good for me to be here? What do you want me to do? While he was still speaking, 
It's kind of like shushing a child. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Exclamation point. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them and he said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. They were coming down the mountain. Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the son of man's been raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, why then do the the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered. He replies, he says, to be sure Elijah comes And will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him. But they have done to him everything they wished. In the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking about John the Baptist. And a lot of theologians get kind of caught up in this. Because the the prophecy, Elijah, you've got Moses. He's the deliverer, right? He's the the one who goes. God tells him in the burning bush. Says, go free my people. Who should I tell him sent me? Tell him I am sent you. It's the first time that God ever gave his name. Moses goes and he does miraculous things. I mean, one time his, 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 his staff turned into a snake. There were plagues. Finally, the Egyptians said, get him out of here. And they go. And then the Egyptians changed their mind. They, they chased him down. And they come to the, to, to the Red Sea. And, and Moses is, is there. And they're all panicked and freaking out. And God says, just, Mo-. by the way, Moses, if you're, a, uh, if you're a classic car guy, Moses had a hot rod. He's, uh-huh, uh-huh. It wasn't very funny, but I had to do something. We need a little break. I need to catch my breath. He put that thing in the water and the Red Sea <laughs> parts and they go across as if on dry land and the army comes after and, and the water comes down. By the way, they found chariots at the bottom of the Red Sea. There was a drought and they've got that cool sonar now, the side view and the clear view looking down. They found chariots in the middle of the Red Sea, just so you know. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's, yeah. Um, so Moses is the deliverer and he's the lawgiver. But Elijah, Elijah was the one who pointed toward Jesus. He spoke to power, Ahab. He had ravens feed him for a couple of years. But he's the one known to the Jews as the one who points to the Messiah. He's the bridge between all the stories of Samuel all the way to the coming prophets. In fact, Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, says that Moses is the bringer of the law and the prophet of prophets. And Elijah is the one that's going to point the way to Jesus. And, and because Elijah didn't come, John the Baptist was like Elijah, but wasn't exactly the same person. People go, well, see, that prophecy is not real. Okay. But Elijah did come. He just showed up at the transfiguration. So he did come before Jesus was glorified, before the second person of the Trinity did everything that he was going to do. And I want you to see some of the stuff that's going on, just some of the symbols that are real. We hear that God often shows up on mountains and by water. We know that clouds represent God. We know that light represents God. And so you've got, you've got Moses who you never get to disagree with. How many times did they say, the law of Moses says, what do you say? The law of Moses says, what do you say? If you disagree with Moses, you're not a good Jew. So Moses shows up. Moses, the deliverer. Moses who, who experienced a cloud in the Shekinah, that's what it's called, glory of God, when God with his own finger carved out the Ten Commandments and gave them to Moses. Meanwhile, the people are melting down gold and making a cow and saying, you saved us. But you, So you've got this cloud that shows up on Mount Sinai. You've got a cloud that shows up with Elijah on Mount Horeb. You've got... You've got over and over and over. A cloud is what led the Israelites in the desert. It, by day, the cloud was out in front going with the ark. 
the cloud of the Shekinah glory of God filled Solomon's temple. So they know when they see this cloud come, they know. In the same cloud, well, now it was, it, was the, it was a dove. It was like the spirit, like a dove. It, Jesus, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but the same words were said. This is my son. I love him. I'm well pleased with him. Listen to him. So the disciples get to see that. Elijah, he, he was the one that's always pointing. It's just time and time and time and time again. Everything that they were looking for, they just saw, but they didn't know it. Notice who shows up first, Jesus. He's transfigured. Then the other two come. He's telling the disciples and he's telling you and me that Moses is trustworthy. Elijah is trustworthy. But they listen to Jesus. Everything they did points toward him. And he's saying to James and Peter and John, you listen to him. When you think the Messiah looks a certain way, you're wrong. He's right. When he says the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven, your view is wrong. His is right. You listen to him. Moses, Elijah, you've been listening to him all along, but he, they're submissive to him. So Peter wanting to build a shelter for all three of them, he's got it wrong. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. No, just one for him. If there's going to be a temple, just one for him. He, he, he doesn't just represent the law and the prophets. He is the law and the prophets. All of that points toward him. So God is saying to them, no matter what's about to come, and it's going to come, you listen to him. You submit to him. The God of the universe spoke, and he said, this is my son. I love him. He pleases me. So you listen to him. I'm absolutely convinced that God gave James, John, and Peter the transfiguration because he knew what was coming. And he wanted them to see, have a taste, just a taste of what eternity, heaven, and resurrection looks like. I don't believe that when we die, we just fall asleep and at the last day we're raised. I don't know how it all looks, but I can tell you that Moses and Elijah being there tells me that they knew Jesus. The second person of the Trinity with skin, with skin on, with a face that's glowing, they recognized him, they talked to him, they submitted to him, and when the voice of, from heaven spoke, they left because it's all about the one that they submit to. It's all about the one the Father says, listen to him, I'm pleased with him. It's all about him. And the disciples know, they don't know, but Jesus knows what's about to come. Remember when he says stuff like, in this world there will be trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He's just giving them hope. They don't know it yet, but he says, don't tell anyone until the son of man is, is resurrected. It comes back from the dead. Then you'll know what this meant. But he's trying to say to them, no matter how bad it gets, and it will get bad, no matter how much you suffer, and you're going to suffer, no matter how much you have to pray for your enemies, bless those who persecute you. That tells you that things are going to get ugly. You know, these, th two of these three disciples were, were martyred for the faith. Peter was crucified upside down. They don't know it yet, but Jesus knows it's coming. And so he gives them a glimpse. He gives them a taste. He gives them a picture. He gives them these, these flawed flesh and blood ordinary men get to see an extraordinary sight so that when life hits they've got something to hang on to 
And God goes on in his scriptures in, in Hebrews 10, 23. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because the one who promised is faithful. In that passage in Hebrews, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us consider him who endured such hardship from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Did you notice that, though, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and he scorned its shame? For the joy. Who's the joy? You are. It's not this is Jesus had to go, okay, God, fine, Father, I'll go and they'll just, they'll just tear me up, they'll shred me and then they'll hang me up and then I'll die and I'll go to hell and I'll come back and then I'll raise. It, it's because he gets you. You're the prize. And because Peter and James and John don't have that Hebrews passage, God is trying to show them that the prize is Jesus and that you are his prize. And see, even Moses and Elijah, they submit to him. They worship him. He's the one who is the Shekinah glory of God. He's the one who walks with them and talks with them and knows them and loves them. And they're known by him and loved by him. Sam of Riesma died this week, and I'm not trying to exploit that. Don Busker died this week. I'm not trying to exploit that. But we now know that they're in the presence of God. That he's, and he's, he's radiant as the sun and his, his clothes, clothes are as white as the light. And they get to be in his presence and he teaches them. And he holds them and he touches them and he loves them. And he walks with them. And he shows them why. And we know that's true because of Matthew 17. So let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Because the one who promised... He's faithful. There'll be trouble in this world. But take heart. He owns it. You're going to hurt. But he sits with you in it. You're going to have regrets. And he doesn't sit back and do this. See, I had to die for that. He puts his arm around you and says, we'll deal with that. Look we'll at there. When his disciples were terrified, he touched them. He said, get up. Don't be afraid. Why wouldn't we be afraid of God? Because we have Christ. And it's not that Christ is our hope. Or it's not that our hope is in Christ. Our hope is Christ. It's not that God provides a strong tower that we can get in and he surrounds us. He is our strong tower. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Because the one, the deliverer of Israel bowed to the deliverer of all. They were in bondage by people. We're in bondage to sin. And Jesus came to take this upside down, cracked and bent world and flip it right side up, straighten it out and make it just as clear as it can be. He came to give us hope. He came to be our hope. I'm going to leave you with this psychological experiment. Real simple. You've probably heard it before. It, it was back in college. It was a psych major. I read this back then. I've checked on it a few times throughout the years. My ratios are right. How long? Don't know. There's an experiment where they took Norwegian field rats. No idea why I remember that. They put them in a five-gallon bucket. 
half full, so they couldn't go to the bottom and touch, and they couldn't climb out. And they just watched them tread water until they died. Kind of cruel. They had that control group. Tread water until they died. They lasted, on average, about an hour. They took another group, same temperature water, same amount of water, same brood of field rats. They put them in there. And because they knew about how long they would last, they would watch. And as their snout, their cute little, no, there's no, no such thing as a rat. Um, as they started going under, someone would pull them out and hold them up for 10 seconds, put them back in. They're about to drown again. They take it out, put it back in. You know how long these lived compared to those? 12 times longer. Because of a 120 seconds of rest? No. And I don't know how a Norwegian field rat brain works, but it had to be going just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. Maybe someone will pull me out. Maybe someone will. It's hope. Hope. Christ is your hope. He was Moses' hope. He's Elijah's hope. He was James, John, and Peter's hope, and he's yours. And you're his joy. You're his prize. You're why he came. So hold on to hope. And folks, if you've lost your hope, grab onto someone who has it because their hope will be sufficient. And then when your hope is restored, when you, when you feel and know that Christ is yours, then you share it with someone else. Not in a Jesus crispy, corny kind of way, not just with cute little colloquialisms, but you sit with someone who's suffering. Don't try to make it better, just sit. Because Jesus identifies with us in our sorrows, in our suffering. When you lose your hope, you hang on to someone that has it. But when your hope is restored, you give it to someone who doesn't. That's the call of Christians. In a broken world, we carry hope. And our hope is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thanks that you are our hope, plain and simple. I can't imagine what this life would be like if we didn't have it. Lord, when it's hard, when it's heavy, when we actually suffer, not just feel like we're suffering, when we're actually persecuted, not just mildly inconvenienced, Lord, when sickness hits, when friends and relatives betray, give us hope. Give us hope that we hold unswervingly to because we know you're faithful. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When God speaks, things happen, right? We, we've heard this. We know this. When there's, there's nothing and he speaks and there's something. There, he said, let there be light. He spoke into darkness, said there's not a such thing as, as, as a flash dark, right? So darkness is just the absence of light. And when he speaks into it, it happens. So when God speaks, things change. He's the only one that creates out of nothing. We take what he's created and we make new things, but we don't create, we make, we manufacture. God actually creates. So when, when, when he says, I bless you, to bless benediction, the benediction, just a good word. And to bless means to say good things about. So when a pastor stands up and asks God to bless you, he's actually speaking on behalf of God, telling God to do the thing that God says he'll do. Say good things about the people. And if he says good things about you, they will be. His word will not return void. It will accomplish what he sent it to do. So put your hands out. Receive what God has to give you. The Lord bless you. 
and keep you and make his face shine on you. We just saw that. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance for you. It's a look on God's face. God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.